Everybody, welcome to the annual Charge Shot Games Cast 2021 Game of the Year show. I am your host. Well, I'm not going to be your host the entire time, but I am your master of ceremonies, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. How you doing? Yeah. Tonight, the Charge Shot gathers around, celebrates the 10 best games of the throne choosing of the year of our Lord 2021. Now, before I introduce the best host, the most in all of podcasting world, let me introduce to you his friends, his teammates, his shipmates, whatever homosexual reference you want to make. First and foremost, the man behind the machine in curtain and brown. Zero score, just in. Oh, yeah, just off your baby, yeah. Uh, it's an honor just to be nominated. I'm. <laughs> and next but not least. Oh, are you done? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm no, I just. Yeah. Okay, awkward transition. This is why you don't give the Macho Man a live mic. And joining us also, Mr. Mega Godzilla fan himself, Tyler. Welcome to the show, buddy. I'm not that big of a fan. You're giving me too much credit, Macho Man. And now, introducing the hostess with the mostest, the marvelous Iggy as I mysteriously go off stream. Oh no, where am I? Oh my god, Ben, that's you. Hi, Macho, how you doing? Yeah, this is great. Nice, thank you for introducing me, buddy. I really appreciate it. The virtual it. background awesome. works really, really well for this bit. Yeah, it does. Okay, thank thank you so much, Macho Man. If you're listening to the this won't translate well. <laughs> Hello! Welcome to the 2021 Charge Shot Gamescast. That totally was the Macho Man and not me. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dan. The audio switched Welcome. over to the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack for a second. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you DMCA. I know. Like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. Hi, Strongbirds. Welcome. Thank you. All right. So, as the Macho Man... Oh, I got something in my hand now, quick. Uh, I didn't ask, but are we all recording? Because I had to start right when I most certainly did. am. Uh, yeah, I literally pulled it up as you were introing. Okay, I was like, shit, <laughs> I didn't say that, I'm not bad. Macho so, Man didn't say it, okay. so that's on him. It's true. No, 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 sorry, I got, that, my hair is wet because I got out of the shower, I literally got out of the shower as Macho Man was introducing me. Um, sure. If you have, if you're new here, or listening, or watching us via live at Twitch.tv, so zero score every Monday at 7pm Central Standard Time, uh-huh. we are the Charge Shot Gamescast, and this particular episode is especially special. Because it is our game of the year special. And how this works is it's a round table of three. And we should have ten games that we've picked that we determine are our personal games of the year. We don't do it like other places where it's like a consensus because good lord knows I'd probably choke one of these two if depending on which games are going to be on the list or not. So I think it's better and more expressive to have uh, it be individually ten. Plus it's what we've been doing and I like it. It's one of the things I want to keep over as the new president of Chart Shop for the past six months. Okay, so uh, without a doubt... Um, let's go ahead and start with honorable mentions, shall we? And of course, let's go to first captain, first mate, Justin, with his honorable mentions. What games that, uh, almost made the list, but just a little shy from cracking the top ten. Yeah, so, um, are we just saying all the honorable mentions here? Yeah, just quick spiel, just okay. quick spiel, because we don't want, I don't want to spend too much long on these games, because these, they're not, they're not why we're here. Totally. Uh, was that your chair? I hope it was your <laughs> yes, chair. Yes, it was. It was my, sure. it was my chair. Macho no, Man, quit, if you quit farting seen... in the background. It's not. It's a condition, I swear. 
Mario Farty superstars right. over here. Wow. Um, so, uh, my honorable mentions start with Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town. Um, Ooh. I really like like the Harvest Moon series in general, and of course, you know, Story of Seasons as a as a spinoff of that. Um, a continuation, I guess. But this one didn't quite grab me the same way because it's it's it almost feels like a mobile game with some of the um, like there's a heavy focus on crafting. Uh, there's a lot of like just timers that you're waiting to tick down to be able to gather resources from like your makers and things like that. Um, projects around your farm, like your huge huge farm, um, take like actual hours. Uh, to to finish and there's just it's a it's a lot of waiting, um, so while like the the core gameplay is still solid, it's just not quite like a Harvest Moon classic that you know I would I would have on the actual list. Um, and then we've got one of two um, actual mobile games on this list. Um, first is Pokemon Unite, and that is one that like I just didn't expect to like at all. Uh, but because I've never been into MOBAs or anything, but it was actually pretty neat. Like not just because like it's you know Pokemon, but like the characters all play differently. Even though there's some that I'm like, how is like how is this a fighter? Um, they still make it work, and um, despite like not actually playing with any like real teams, like you know playing with friends or anything, I've had some pretty decent matches with just randos like five-on-five randos where we've all had pretty good synchronicity and stuff without, like, you know, actual voice chat or anything like that. Um, So it's been a fun one to play around with just randomly in my free time every now and then. But I haven't spent enough time in it to really, like, you know, give it a proper shout-out. And then my last honorable mention, I'm going to count it, uh, Final Fantasy V Pixel Remaster. Um, That's that's, that's totally fair? Yeah. Because it's a... That's totally fair. I mean, for one, it's a game that has barely ever come out in America. Um, True. We've gotten two re-releases, the GBA version, the P- three, technically. G- GBA, PS1. Did it come on PS1? Yeah, it was on yeah. PS1. Those are the only two, oh, though. PS1, and then the, well, no, the, the first mobile ports. Oh, Those are the f- I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah. yeah. Everybody does. That one was real bad. I, did, I just didn't think we got five uh, in those mobile ports, but. Um, no, we just didn't get five SNES, uh, truly. Yeah, so this one was also on Steam, to be fair. But, you know, Pokemon Unite is also on Switch, so. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a very good version of a game that I barely played before. Um, and, like, it's obviously it's not a new release, but it's, like, it's easily the definitive version of that game. It looks beautiful. Like, there was a huge step up in graphical um, quality. You know, it's, it's, it's sprites, but, like, they put a lot more detailed work into the expressions and the um, the animations and things like that from four to five, um, and that really shows with a more heavy, um, involved story, in my opinion. Um, four kind of just blows through a lot of like important story bits and like three lines of dialogue, and then sends you back out into the wild. Whereas I feel like five kind of lets some of those moments sit a little bit more um, and tells the story more through like the the character um, interactions and expressions and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it was really interesting to go back to that game this year and I'm glad I got the chance. Um, but I mean, it's also still an old game, so I didn't want to actually put it on the list. 
All right. So, Tyler, what are your honorable mentions for 2021, buddy? I've actually got a few this time. Uh, the first one is going to be Virtua Fighter Five Ultimate Showdown. Uh, this was initially free uh, when it first released uh, back in June. And I did play a fairly decent amount of it during that one week. But the online isn't that great, so it didn't really warrant my attention until another game that's act- that actually made the list came out. Uh, a bit of a spoiler for what that's going to be. Uh, but aside from that, it's Virtua Fighter Five again uh, with uh, the more modern Yakuza graphics, and it's still fucking fun to play. Uh, just kind of wish the online was better. Uh, that way I can get that much more enjoyment out of it. But who knows? Uh, this game did well enough, so there's probably going to be a Virtua Fighter Six on the horizon, so fingers crossed on that one. Uh, the other uh, two that I'm going to mention, the first uh, is going to be Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. I had a fairly uh, <laughs> good amount of uh, time spent on this one as well. Uh, oh, no. It could have been better. <laughs> like, it has neat ideas uh, behind uh, how you control your character and how the actual game works. But there's a bit of jank in, in the gameplay itself, so it didn't really... Uh, hold my attention for very long, unfortunately. It was cool to see a whole bunch of classic Nicktoons characters in a 2021 game, of all things. So, that in itself is cool. But, who knows? It'll probably get better in the future. Uh, And the last one that I'm going to mention is going to be Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, which is technically uh, mostly relegated to the new DLC featuring Yuffie Kisaragi, uh, admittedly, I hadn't really played much of the DLC. I only just played, uh, the first few chapters of FF7 Remake, uh, but I already counted that last year, so, uh, there's no really any point to go into further detail on that. And yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Alright, thank you very much, Tyler. So my honorable mentions, I actually have four. Uh, first up is a indie game that released out of nowhere called Steel Assault, and it is Basically an homage to Mega Man X, Contra, Heavy Metal, 90s game, hard as fuck, and really cool. Like, a lot of games try to, you know, put on filters and stuff like that to make you feel like you're playing in a classic game, from the, like a game from the 90s. This one goes above and beyond with that. Um, it puts filters, it warps the, your screen so it looks like a CRT TV, but it has it felt like it had none of the input lag, which is the, like the, the problem with a lot of those filters. Presentation-wise, it's really cool. Gameplay is really cool. Um, soundtrack, really kick-ass. Character designs, really kick-ass. The problem is, it's really short. You can literally beat it in an hour, and the only more you get is, like, arcade mode, which you try to beat it in one run, which, okay, there's that. But for as cool as it was, I was expecting at least, you know, four hours. You know, I wasn't expecting, like, an RPG's length. But it just felt really undercooked in terms of its length. But what's there is very polished. So it was almost on my list, but just missed it. Go check it out if it's on sale for really cheap. You're not, if, especially if you like sort of like action uh, uh, scrolling games. The next one up um, yeah, for me is I think we all have at least one port of a new, of a, a re- <laughs> shiny coat of a new game. And that for me is the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Uh, I've been streaming this game. And, uh, you know, I've been loving this game. And I am, like, and, you know, you know, you know me, fucky age shit then. And they could have, they could have easily have meddled with this. It could have been botched so bad. 
Um, it's because it's not like EA has shown that they really care about Mass Effect that much. But here, they were able to let the team fucking polish and polish. Mass Effect 1 is the definitive version. And they just made the other two versions that much prettier and much more seamless. Yeah, sure things, some things have dated. Like the facial stuff isn't nearly as cutting edge as it was back in 2013. But it's still such a good play, uh, game to play. And I'm reliving it on my stream has just been a joy. Um, and just being back in that universe again is so good. And if they can keep up with this quality for whatever the next Massive game is, I'm in. But what a great remastering of these three classic games. Uh, it took a long time, but the wait was worth it. Uh, after that, let's see, what do I have next? Uh, I have Boyfriend Dungeon last, um, this, uh, hybrid game that was pitched a while ago, and I tried it, and I liked the visual novel part a lot. I thought the characters were written well, I thought it, and I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I thought it handled a particular situation dealing with danger, and, um, who you should trust, and, you know, manipulation, I thought it handled that in a very adult way, obviously that created some, some controversy, but I thought it was very, I thought it was doing it for a reason, um, and, uh, I, that part is good. The character designs are really good. The, the, um, the, the, the like I said, the visual novel aspect was strong. The problem is, is the, hi- it's a hybrid game. So when you have the combat stuff just did not feel fun. I ha- I feel like I had no reason to do dungeons outside of one or two trips. Like, okay, you get a new recipe you don't like, but there just wasn't enough incentive for me to, let alone go into the dungeon, let alone play the game again. I married a character and that was it. Or I dated a character, had sex with her. I don't remember. It's been so long. But I, it still left an impression on me that I thought, okay, if they can make the dungeon mechanics much more rewarding as well as the visual novel stuff engaging, you got yourself a master game. But it was just a little too undercooked and too basic for what it was promising. Um, I'm not expecting Devil May Cry. But give me a reason to play the other side of the game and not just ignore it, almost, unless I had to do it. Uh, finally, uh, this is a, I, it's almost made my list. It's almost made my list. But it sadly did not. My uh, last honorable mention is 12 Minutes, uh, the first Anapur Interactive uh, mention on, from, on my list. And I don't like point-and-click games. I have, histo- have hysteric- hysterically, historically and hysterically said that I am not a fan of those. But I wanted to try this one out only because of what the premise was and what it, how unique it was. And, of course, the great voice acting by Willem Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, and James McAvoy. Yes, I remember his name this time. Exactly. Um, very, very cool engagement. It's a very unique twist I didn't see coming. Very good presentation. The problem is, it's like once you see it once, it's kind of hard to replay it again. Um, like, the magic is kind of... The, the, so once you, and once you figure it out, it's kind of like, oh, okay, there's no reason to touch this game again, which kind of sucks. But not all games are meant to be replayed. Sometimes you just get that one experience out of them. Um, but great job on it, and I was and I was engaged and trying to figure out. Once I had that, oh shit, that's how that works. That's when it clicked for me. So yeah, twelve minutes is my final honorable mention. So now it is time for the main event of the evening. So the undercard is done. It is now time for the lengthy time where we go into our top ten games of the year. So we're gonna go this order. So y'all pay attention to. We're gonna go Justin. And Tyler, then I go last because I'm an egomaniac. So the same um, order we did this just... honorable mentions. Yes, great, exactly. So same order, um, just 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 to put further emphasis on it. Okay, number ten, Justin. What it, what etched out at number ten? So going back to hybrid games, uh, my number ten is Persona Five Strikers. 
Um, It is basically a combination of a Persona 5 sequel mixed with, like, the the Musou, like, you know, um, Dynasty Warriors gameplay style. Um, It's a lot heavier on the Persona stuff than a lot of these Musou games are. And that made me really excited for it uh, before it came out. But it didn't, something about it didn't quite click with me uh, once I finally got into it. I really like the story. I love seeing the characters again. It's, you know, like visiting old friends. Um, I think part of the problem is it's a sequel to Persona 5, not Persona 5 Royal. So, like, it basically non-canonizes my favorite stuff um, from Royal, which I understand because, like, this game, you know, came out this February or something like that. And Royal came out last March. So, like, they were definitely developing it before Royal came out. Um, so they probably just couldn't include that stuff, but it's still a bit of a shame, um, that I feel like the story kind of lacks because it's following the original Persona 5 ending. Um, and it introduces a new character that's, I I, I will say visually similar to, um, the new character in Royal, not really personality. She's like a robot or something, but, or I guess an artificial intelligence. Um, but like, there's enough similarities there that I'm like, why basically erase a character just to introduce a different character that's kind of similar. Um, anyway, my canon reason, her phone broke. (laughs) Sure. Um, they couldn't call her. Uh, but like the, the story and everything is great. Like you're exploring, uh, jails now instead of the, um, the palaces and kind of the the justification for that is like, it's taking over an entire city. So the main characters are going on a road trip and, um, by having like an entire city turned into, uh, uh, metaverse shenanigans. Thank you. Turned into a, a metaverse. Um, you can have, you know, much larger, like open areas to your dungeons, um, which accommodates the Muso style gameplay. Um, but it still takes on the persona element of like being able to like sneak attack enemies and things like that for advantage. Um, so you'll see like just maybe a single enemy on the field. And when you engage with it, that enemy like explodes into a mob and then you have the kind of action RPG combat, but you can also like pause the action at any time to shift into like a, you know, magic like skill menu, um, that has your, um, like your character's magical specialties and stuff. Again, very similar to Persona 5. Um, and each character still has kind of their similar skill trees and stuff. Like, um, obviously Joker can have different personas. Um, whereas, like, um, Ryuji is kind of the one. electric guy. Um, on is the, the fire. Uh, you know, so on. Um... But as much as I like the persona elements of it, the Musou gameplay doesn't really do much for me. Um, The mobs can sometimes hit like trucks and like there'll be random like savage enemies that'll appear and just like basically stun lock you like going from, you know, full health to dead before you even realize like what's happening. Um, And it just I get kind of tired of it. Uh, I feel that. 
sorry, I just I just saw a comment um, saying that our our show is the perfect evolution of beards, <laughs> and that's, that's that's very good. That doesn't apply to me. Nice. Mine stays the same throughout. Well, that's nice. I won't. that's the point. Like it's me, yeah. Then you. And then him is fully, fully shaved. I mean, I feel Mine's like there's a, a missing lot, link I... there between us. We need Thomas in here to he kind knows, of fill in the like. He knows. He knows who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, well, thank you, you thank you for the comment that that made me laugh. I had to stop. Um. Anyway, the yeah the the game itself is a lot of fun, and I still like the stuff you could do outside of the jails with like kind of character development and things like that. Like that's all still there. But the bond system is way more um, simplified to basically be like a essentially a skill tree. Um, so you put like bond points toward like unlockable skills um, rather than actually building your bonds with each character. Um, it's easily like the best Muso game. Like I know that you you know Ben you loved uh, Age of Calamity and everything, and it's cool that like more of these Muso spinoff games are kind of introducing elements of like their you know their actual series and because this one is like a canonical sequel and like co-developed by atlas and stuff it feels more persona than warriors which i think is why they didn't call it like persona warriors or whatever um but i just kind of get lost in the uh combat system sometimes so like i'll have a lot of fun exploring the jails because there's like some great, you know, platforming and puzzles and things like that in them. And then it'll just be an open area with a bunch of mobs. And I'm like, ugh. Okay, fine. I guess I'll take oh, these no. guys out so I can get on to the next thing I enjoy. Um, and so, like, I, like, some other stuff came out and I never got back to it. I still need to. Um, but, like, it is a very good game and I wanted to include it on the list. Um, I just couldn't justify putting it any higher. That's fair. All right, thank you for that. Number 10 for you, Tyler. Uh, coincidentally, my number 10 is also an Atlas-produced game. Uh, it is going to be Shin Megami Tensei Five. Mm. I really wanted to enjoy this game more than I did because there are a lot of cool things going on here. As someone with minimal experience with this series, apart from Persona 5, as in nothing, I had a good idea how things worked about the battle system. Elemental weaknesses, extra attacks, recruiting and fusing demons... I understood all that just fine. However, the one thing about SMT5 that prevented it from being any higher on this list is that it's relentlessly difficult, at least early on. Uh, To give preface, I played at least five hours in the first dungeon of the game, recruiting team members and leveling them up uh, to prepare for what lied ahead. But the boss at the end of the first dungeon was where I hit a wall. I'm certain the story and characters will captivate me, and things might get easier when I start unlocking new features or fusing incredibly powerful demons, but from what little I've played so far, I'm okay with SMT5 being at number 10. I would, I probably could change my mind later down the road, so look forward to my feelings on this game in the future if I ever get that far, because I am a gigantic scrub. <laughs> Does that have like a, an right. easy mode? Because um, uh, with Atlas games, I tend to drop it to easy difficulty because no. they are brutal. I don't no, recall there not. being a difficulty selector, but if there was, I probably put it on normal. Okay, it's those games. Shimigami Tensei is known to be hard. It is part of the appeal of that game. That's why it's selling. I think it was eight hundred thousand copies. Was mm-hmm. like a miracle, just because it's not. You know, it's not exactly it's the commercial. switch for you. Um, yep. 
if I if I had more time with it, then I'd definitely be better at it. But this only came out last uh, in November, so I haven't had as much time with it as like other games that came out during that time frame. So who knows? I'll probably get back to it when I have the extra time, which is probably never. Yeah. All right, so my number 10, this might shike Ty- shock Tyler wow. a lot, but my number 10 is Guilty Gear Strive. That's fair. You um, only just got it a few weeks ago. Yeah, so my number 10 is Guilty Gear Strive, the much-anticipated uh, sequel or new game under from Arc System Works. I was going to buy this game when it came out uh, initially, but unfortunately a real life happened that exact same day, so I never bought it because I didn't want to be reminded of that day. But Tyler graciously gifted to me the game for Christmas, so once again, buddy, thank you for it. You're very and welcome. from a gameplay standpoint, oh my god, this game is just awesome. It makes you feel badass. That like when you hit something and you and you hit the, you get a counter hit and someone can just counter. counter and it's just it's it's just so good. The online uh, is so fucking good and so, like oh, it just feels crisp and like yeah, not all connections are great, but overall in the in the fighting itself is so good. The characters all look badass and they animate beautifully. It's it's so perfect. It's almost perfect. Except for the fact that the lobbies are fucking shit. Yeah. It, the lobbies are the worst part of this game. It's disconnects, inconsistencies, it's hard to find people. The ideas of the lobbies are great. Their execution is not great. Also, there's really no single player stuff. There's a, there's a story mode that you watch only. You can't play it. And I didn't even touch that because I don't want to waste my time watching something I don't really know about. But... It makes this list because when I turn it on, I want to play a fighting game with good online. It just feels good. I haven't gotten learned too much depth into the techniques of it all, but it just, it just, it just makes it like yes. Like I, there was when I first got it, I almost stayed up to one o'clock in the morning playing it. But like no, no, stop. You got to go to work tomorrow. Um, but it's it's so good. Again, also the PC version has some weird screen tearing issues. It has weird graphical issues going on with the PC version. It seems like Arxis. Then it's not a bad port but when i look at like playstation and like the playstation port stuff like that it's it's like it could be better um but it's still good enough to crack number 10 guilty gear strive the smell of the game okay number now let's go nine on number nine justin all right, so uh, I, I will admit there's a bit of a um, a trend to my list this year, but there's, I think there's also a trend to gaming this year, and that's nostalgia sequels. Yep. Um, or you know, nostalgia remakes, like that general realm. Um, so my number nine is new Pokemon Snap. Ooh. Um, this is a game that I think kind of surprised everyone <laughs> um, with the fact that it exists and how good it ended up being. Uh, because it's it's one of those where it's like it's not developed by Game Freak, so you know you could potentially have high hopes <laughs> for a Pokemon property. Um, but also, it's one that Nintendo didn't really need to go hard on uh, because it's it's Pokemon Snap. Like people were going to buy it, but they did. Uh, I mean, it's it's easily like more more than justifies the price compared to the original that was like you know a full-priced game that you could beat in a rental period um 
Whereas this one, like, it has more levels and variations to each of those levels with, like, day and night and alternate paths and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then, you know, just the sheer amount of things to do in each level, like, the amount of Pokemon in general that's in the game. And then, you know, four uh, levels of, um, of, like, star ranks to get for each Pokemon. Like, it's a lot. Um, and I put a lot of time into it, and I still, like, I don't, I haven't even found a ball, much less gotten, you know, four stars, or four star categories for each one. Um, and then they released friggin' free DLC that I don't think anyone expected, that introduced another, like, 30 Pokemon into the game, and a new area, well, two new areas, technically, um, with, like, you know, basically branching paths into these new areas, like it's insane, um. So yeah, it's it's one that's kind of hard to talk about because, I mean, it is just a game about like taking pictures of Pokemon, <laughs> um, but it's so fun and it's just a a like casual, like feel good game. Um, just watching them in their natural habitats, bonking a Pikachu with an apple and seeing what it does. Like, you know, it it feels good. Um, but I forgot, I was going to say something else. I forgot what it was. Um, I'm still not feeling great. So yeah, that's, that's it. I I think I just, uh, I probably would have put it higher, but like, it's, it's one that like you play a little bit of and then leave and then come back to, you know, casually as you go. So, like, I tend to only play maybe one Switch game at a time because I just leave it, like, in my, um, like, I, I leave it, like, you know, asleep, basically, and then just pull the game back up instead of saving, um, which was proven when I died in Tokyo Mara Sessions and lost, like, three hours of gameplay because um, oh, I hadn't no. saved in a long time. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, once I got into other games, I just kind of stopped going back to it, Um I struggle a little bit with those, like, just kind of pick up and play games. But what I was going to say is I did do a review of it for our YouTube channel. Um, so if you are curious about more on the game, check out that review. Do it. It's such a good, uh, well-constructed video. Thank you. All right. Number nine, Tyler! Uh, my number nine is going to be Justin's number ten, Persona 5 Strikers. <laughs> This, wow. Yeah, this pick is a bit weird because Royal was my number one last year. So you'd think this would be a mm-hmm. bit higher. But the fact of the matter is uh, I got distracted by a lot of the latter games on this list. And real life occurrences obstructed my overall interest in Strikers. Same. Uh, not to say that it's not good. In fact, it's actually really fun once you get into the swing of it. The story takes place six months after the original Persona 5 and continues the story of the Phantom Thieves reuniting during their summer break to go back to Metaverse shenanigans. There isn't as much life sin as the last game, and from what i played so far, most of your time is spent fighting in the Metaverse in a Musou-esque manner. You have control between four out of nine characters as you switch uh, between them on the fly, and are all unique in playstyle. Fighting waves of shadows is cathartic, but the beefier ones based on actual Shin Megami Tensei demons can be annoying to deal with, 
especially in the early game when your mana pool for elemental attacks is pitifully low. I enjoyed my time with Strikers, as brief as it was, and someday, uh, just like Justin, I'll find time to play it through it in full. So, fingers crossed. I have been kind of right. uh, craving a, a jump back in recently, so yeah. maybe we'll both pick it up in 2022. Nice. <laughs> we'll probably joint play it and uh, just talk about our experiences through Discord again. Yeah, that helped with Persona 5 Royal for sure. Yay. So, my number nine is Justin's exact same number nine. It's new Pokemon Snap. <laughs> wow. Um, that's probably going to be the, like, the last audit. Maybe the last audit we'll have. Maybe another game will be closer. Because I know there's at least several games I mean, that are very close to each other. Um, at least, I know of at least two of them. But new Pokemon Snap is number nine. It's only on number nine here because the games ahead of it are really, really good. I cannot really say anything about Pokemon Snap. It is so gorgeous and perfect. And just letting you be in the world of Pokemon and letting you see how they interact theoretically in a in an environment it's just so much charm and i and especially i think what sold it for me was the deep sea levels and you get to go against that school of fish pokemon which name escapes me um, wishy-washy wishy-washy and it's literally like you're fight swimming against like godzilla down there um but even it's a that, f- like, photo game with boss battles <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, the final technical boss area where you meet, um, is it not Arceus, Xerneas, uh, and you get to see its majesticness in its uh, awful glory. Cool it's, Spoilers. It's so fun. Um, that's whatever. <laughs> um, it's it's a it's care. a Pokemon game. It's um, so it's like for something that people have been wanting for almost two decades. Uh, since the original Pokemon Snap, and everybody thought that we you would get one because oh, the gamepad, take pictures of the gamepad, never happened. Um, and maybe shit. it was in development for the gamepad, and it just never came out. But it's out; it came up for Switch. It's so perfect, and I love the gimmick of the glowing aspect, um, especially when you get like those boss battles, and you just have this ethereal glow. I need to try that on my new OLED mm. um, just to see how that how that looks, but. Yeah, such a charming game. Uh, I hope Pokemon uh, Ar- Legends of Arceus is just as good in quality. Um, we'll, that comes out later this month. We'll see. But in terms of a Pokemon spinoff done right with care, this is it. I'm like, I know some people say, "Well, all you do is take pictures for sixty bucks." I would have spent more because they they even gave you a free DLC update with new areas and new Pokemon. That's insane. This shouldn't even have gotten that. Well worth your time and effort. And again, just like Justin, it is a game that you don't do all the time. It's a game you pick up every now and then. But that is the, that is the best kind of game where you're just like, you know what? I feel like playing this today. You don't have to beat it. You don't have to do anything. You just take pictures, and that's nice. So that's why Pokemon, new Pokemon Snap, makes my number nine on my list. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm sorry. If you don't for... think taking pictures is worth 60 bucks, I'm going to start calling you J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, or like real photographers <laughs> spend way more to take pictures. Just saying. Yeah, exactly. It is now time for the number eight, Justin Crazy Eight. What is it? I swear to God. What? I swear to God, if it's the same number as mine, I don't think oh, it is. But go ahead and go. probably not. Um, so staying in the same realm, uh, my number eight is uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. Um, I put wow. them together because I technically own the the double pack. Um, I've only been playing Brilliant Diamond, but I have them both, so I just, you know, blanket term. We should trade Pokemon sometime. I we should. I want my Kadabra to be an Alakazam. I have a Haunter that I need to 
I need to trade. That works. Um, so yeah, we should we should do that. Um, I also need a friggin' drift loon. I keep forgetting to go I there got on one. Friday. I'll read I hate mine. It. Okay, yeah, do that, and we can we can work out our time. Anyway, this is another one that I've kind of uh, dropped because Tokyo Mirage Sessions has been taking over my life. Um, but I will get back to it. And um, one of my friends just got a Switch, and he hadn't like gamed really at all since the Wii. Uh, and even then, it was mostly like Mario Party and that. Uh, that's about it, actually. So uh, he's been he he just beat the Elite Four, and it got me kind of wanting to replay it. But anyway, nice. Um, I never got super into Gen Four, um, like when it released, because I was in college. Um, Pokemon wasn't cool, and I didn't have any money, so uh, these felt like new games to me. Like even though they are remakes, like they still count for this year because I mean they are remakes. It's not just a you know port or whatever. Um, but like this is the definitive version of these games. Um, I don't see why you would go back unless you want to play Platinum. Like that's totally justified. Um, but if you're going to go back to you know Diamond and Pearl. Just play these. They're yes. way better. Um, Most definitely. But also, like I said, it's just, it's mostly a new experience to me. Um, I knew some of the areas because I played a bit of Platinum, like, after the fact. Um, once that came out, I didn't see a reason to do the originals. But that changes quite a bit of stuff, so these are still pretty fresh to me. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the actual, like, Generations Pokemon. Um, I, I think it's a somewhat weak showing and i mean it's already like kind of a smaller like new decks than a lot of the other gens unless you're um, going underground and getting stuff that isn't on that decks then you're missing out on a lot of cool shit what do you mean uh there's a whole bunch of uh pokemon underground that uh you can find that isn't on the national oh i know decks. and uh i'm pretty sure you found a houndoom at some point right i did it's still on my team i love it nice um but no, I'm just saying, like, the new Pokemon. I'm not saying the actual Pokedex. I'm saying okay. the new Pokemon introduced in Gen 4. That's fair. Are somewhat weak. Um, like, we got we got my boy Shinx, which is, like, one of my favorites of all time, um, that are named after Ty. Nice. And, um... Aww. The starters are pretty good. Um, Turtwig! <laughs> and there's, you know, there's a few other, like, Lucario, cool ones, Garchomp, but, those are yeah. some to name a few. But a lot of them feel like filler, and, like, I think this gen's reliance on old Pokemon is kind of proof that, like, they just kind of filled roles with the new stuff, rather than, you know, like Gen 5, for example, that brought in everything new. Um, but there's some there's some good, you know, type combos and things like that in here, and I do really like some of the, the functions they put in, like um, new baby forms, new evolutions, that kind of thing. Like, those are really cool. Um, I kind of want to get an Electivire eventually, um, but I also don't want to get rid of my Luxray, so I don't know. The point is, I like some of the new Evos and stuff, too. Um, but I'm really enjoying actually just exploring the region. It's a cool area, and there's a lot of diverse landscapes and stuff. And the fact that, like, I remember not liking this gen as much because, like, it has a ton of HMs. And so the fact that they streamlined that in this one where you, they don't take up, like, move slots makes actually actually exploring the area so much more. Thank you. It was a 
big freaking problem in the original Diamond and Pearl where you had to get like HM slaves just to traverse through Sinnoh. It was yeah, a big it was like ass. eight or nine of them, wasn't there? Yeah, there were. Uh, there's a few HMs that are absolutely necessary to get through. Mm-hmm. Like one of the most annoying ones is Defog, because yeah. there's some uh, foggy spots in the game where if you try to battle in fog, it makes your evasiveness go to shit. So you need a Pokemon that knows Defog, which pretty much just takes up an entire slot just to get rid of the damn fog. It's so mm-hmm. dumb. I just got to the area where you get defog. Um, oh, good. Like, as a move. Uh, I haven't found it yet. Like, I haven't found the actual It's HM in the Great yet. March. March? Okay. See, I didn't go up there because it seemed like it was just the Safari Zone. And I was like, I don't care about that. But if there's an actual thing I need to get up there, then I guess I should do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, like, that makes it so much better. Um, but that that's pretty much it. Like, I mean, it's it's Pokemon. Like, at the end of the day, it's Pokemon. But um, they did a really good job with this. I actually like the art style. I wasn't a huge fan of the way they, they did um, Gen 8. Um, I think this, like, is how Pokemon should look in 3D. Um, and, like, the battle scenes are beautiful. Like, some of the, the landscapes they created are just... Like, I mean, they look way better than anything that we've seen before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, it's 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 doing justice to what we already know rather than, like, blowing it out of the water with all these crazy new things that, like, you know, aren't true to the spirit of what the original game was. All yeah. right. Thank you very much. Number eight, Tyler. Uh, I believe this one is going to be the only indie game on my list. Uh, it is Everhood. Uh, this is what you get when you take Undertale, Daft Punk, and Beat Saber and throw them all into a blender. I first saw wow. this game uh, from a VTuber stream and decided to try it for myself because it was just there. And I'm glad I did because this is one of the coolest indies I played this year. He plays a mute red puppet whose arm is taken from him, and you meet all sorts of wacky individuals, and you battle your way through an insanely trippy world. Battles are interesting, as it's a rhythm-based affair, where you move left and right between five spaces, avoiding musical notes heading towards you. New two battles are the same, since they all use a different song from the superb soundtrack, reminiscent of EDM from yesteryear. It can be challenging to clear these on the first try, but it lets you try again if you lose all your health during a battle. The difficulty feels fair, and I know when I fuck up, it's my fault, and I want to nail it the next time. So if musical jam- games are your jam, you might enjoy Everhood quite a bit. I know Calliope Mori did when she beat the game. Lord knows I tried. Alright, hmm. cool. So my uh, continuing the indie game theme... My number eight came out really, really late, but I beat it with enough time to put it on this list. Mm. It's a game that Justin and I have looking forward to. That unfortunately I won't spoil because Justin hasn't played to it, but I will talk about sort of what made. Did I did I tell you my Game Pass debacle real quick? I can't get PC Game Pass to work. Like ever since I upgraded my computer to Windows 11, like the app shows up and it shows I'm signed in, but I can't do anything. So I was trying to play that and Psychonauts 2 before this show, and I just couldn't. It made me really mad. Okay. Lame. Oh, that sucks. Well, anyway, my number eight game of the year is the Gunk. Um, mm. This is the, the the team behind the uh, Justin and I's beloved Steam World 
franchise, SeaWorld Dig 1 and 2 specifically, the other ones, you can take them or leave them, but <laughs> SeaWorld Dig 1 and 2 are really yeah. good, and this is their first sort of four-way into 3D gaming, uh, and mm-hmm. I fell in love. Uh, it was it it was pretty much the SteamWorld idea, which is you're an adventurer, you're on this unknown planet. Uh, okay, maybe not the SteamWorld, but the idea is you're trapped on this planet, you fall into this gunk everywhere, and you're basically trying to figure out what the mystery is behind this gunk. And it's just so majestic. It's beautiful because you're basically cleaning up pollution, um, and you're you find is ancient ruins. Uh, you find these ancient ruins there, and the environments are so vibrant and pretty and beautiful. And I have the music going on my head to kind of give me a little bit extra boost. And it's just every, all these different pieces coming together to make this wonderful package. Like I didn't want to stop. I, I, I just wanted to keep going. Um, it's not super long either, which I thought I was going to not like about it. But it was just the right amount of length. Um, the voice acting is really great. You get to know these two main characters really, really well and their and their relationship. Um, it has a really fun and almost calming uh, a game cycle. Like, and it's just like it was my chill out game for December, and is and December was really fucking intense, uh, especially when you work in retail. But yep. for a first attempt at 3D, it was beautiful. It was like it, it. It did the thing in games that I love, and I you you put an ancient ruin in a game, and 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 I'm gonna love you for it. and just how like the trees cover everything, the moss, the breathingness to it, and then you have the deeper mystery of it all and why the gunk is all there, which is really really interesting. Don't sleep on this game, um, and I really hope that this game did well enough for us to, uh, for the devs that they could do more in this universe um, and like go beyond. But like what? What a beautiful game! Like, the only thing I want to be- know is, have- does it tie into SteamWorld? No. Okay. No, it is its own. As far as this game is concerned, and that's fine. It's its own beautiful thing. Um, like seriously, there there are moment every there were moments every single time I found a new I went into a new era. I was literally going, wow, oh, wow, and I had to stop, put the controller down, and just look. It's it's just. It was just like eye candy for me, like and and, and gameplay wise was also really fun and felt good. But for me, what was really good about it was its presentation, and and just how in depth they made it with such limited time and space they had. Um, so yeah, that's why the gunk is number eight. I think if it was a little bit longer and maybe it was more in depth in terms of its game mechanics, I would put it higher. But for what it is. It belongs on my top ten. I'm 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 really glad I made time to play it at the end of this year, end of last year. Nice. All right. So now it is time for number seven, 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 seven. Justin, my good sir, what is number seven for you? Uh, lucky number seven, um, appropriately, is Mario Party Superstars. Wow. Um, so I love this game. It's the best Mario Party's been in a very long time. And not coincidentally, I don't, wait, yeah, coincidentally, um, I, whatever, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, it also is one that is entirely based in nostalgia. Um, it does away with any, like, weird gimmicks and, you know, 
like added mechanics and stuff that capitalize on the the console's abilities and just focuses on giving you a solid selection of boards from the 3 and 64 games and 100 of the best mini games across the history of the series um that's it like <laughs> it there, there's no like gimmicky mini games included they're all controller based um and i think that was partially to uh to kind of get back at the issues with um super mario party not working in like handheld mode on a switch Lite, for example because you have to play with separated Joy-Con and, you know, all that stuff. They wanted one that's just playable for everyone across all devices, no matter where you are. And it works. It's really good. Um, I played it multiple times with friends, and it's, you know, it's classic. Like, it's it's still a great time. Um, and it has online, so you can even, you know, do shenanigans with friends um, across the world, which I have also done. Um, and the lag really isn't bad. I've done a handful of like the um, the mini game mountain stuff online, um, and I mean, there's occasionally been some issues, uh, but like there's no lag or anything. It usually just like the game itself stutters, um, and yeah, that can that can kill a mini game like you know the jump rope one for example. Yeah, but uh, that it's the exception. Um, the only issue I have with it is it doesn't seem to, like, it doesn't seem to matter how good your connection is, it goes off of the worst connection. Um, and that kind of sucks sometimes. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's Mario Party. Like, what are you going to say? <laughs> but it's also, like, it's very good Mario Party. Um, I mean, good enough to make this list. So, that's pretty much it. All right. Tyler, number seven. My number seven is going to be The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Is it weird Hmm. that I don't really care much for real-life judicial affairs, but I enjoy Ace Attorney so much? Maybe it's the pun names or the wacky shit that goes on in these games, but that's going in spoiler territory. Anywho, this is one of the better games in the series, in my opinion. The story takes place over a hundred years before the days of Phoenix Wright, and puts you in the shoes of his ancestor, Ryanosuke Norihodo, who becomes a defense attorney during a trip to London at the peak of the Industrial Revolution. The cases are simple enough to follow, and I hadn't found one instance where I was stumped or had to look up a guide. The puzzles where you have to match specific evidence to witness testimonies can be brain-taxing at first glance, but it's satisfying as hell to call someone out when they're clearly lying. There's also the Dance of Deduction with the entertaining Herlock Sholmes that's always fun to go through. Basically, he breaks down uh, any goings-on during with any evidence in the general area, but derails himself in thought when he uses the wrong one. So, you gotta point out the correct thing to put his train of thought back on the rails, pun intended. It's kind of awesome when you experience this for yourself, honestly. For those of you who enjoy murder mysteries, court drama, and an overall good story with interesting and quirky characters, give the Great Ace, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles a shot. It might be, it might be up your alley. All right, thank you, Tyler. And now my number seven, which might shock some people, uh, depending on previous shows, 
but uh, not to me it was probably one of one of my surprises. My number seven is Forza Horizon Five. Uh, this this game dropped on Game Pass, and everybody on my timeline was talking about it. And I thought, well, I have Game Pass. Let me see how it runs on my Xbox One X, because obviously I know it's more meant for you know the series and or PC. And I saw the download for PC. I was like, I don't want to download a game. I'm not going to play that much that that size of a download. So I downloaded it for Xbox One X, and I quickly understood why people love this game. It is number one in terms of just fidelity and visuals and just like realistic looking things. It's beautiful. It captures the wonderful vistas of Mexico. So God, just amazing from the jungles to the beach to the towns to the rivers everything was captured here especially when uh it's so good and it starts you off really really well where you're literally driving off the side of a volcano um it, it knows how to hit and i didn't know how a open world racing game would work but to me it functioned really really well just driving around and doing random missions time trials speed traps dirt uh street races cross country races those are my favorite the cross country races are always my favorite finding uh hidden finding barns and getting new cars like it's it was just so much content for just the base game like i i i literally there was one day I, I played it for like eight hours and it just did races and so and also the customization you could do with your cars is ridiculous and i'm talking about they could sell the customization of cars as its own thing like, the amount of, like, you see people with their own unique designs, they had to make that in the systems editor. And that's, that's the amount, that amount of, like, freedom is crazy to me. That you can do that. It's so beautiful. It controls really, really well. It, and, and the best part is, when it comes to races, unless you're going for, like, top time, you can just race. You don't have to worry about placing. You just do it, and you just race, and you gain progression to unlock more stuff. You play, you get more stuff. It's so good. Possibly the best racing game I've played in a long time. And as somebody who kind of has been negative on this series, like, oh, it's just a tech demo. Oh, it's just a racing game. What's the point of it? Open world racing game. What is that shit? I'm really glad I set aside my prejudices against it and gave it a shot and played it because it was a hell of a time. And every now and then I'll fire it up just because I want to drive alongside Mexico and look at those beautiful vistas. Because Lord knows, good Lord knows, within the times of COVID, I'm never seeing those beaches ever again. So, yeah, what what a trip, man! Like, if you have Xbox Game Pass, just download Forza, and you'll under and you should be able to understand why this game has such a big appeal. It, it spoke to me on a level that I didn't expect it to. So, yeah, that's why number uh, Forza Horizon Five makes my number seven game on Game of the Year. So now it is time. We are close to the halfway mark. It's time to round it up, Justin. Number six. I gotta say real quick, that was really confusing the way you said number four said Horizon. Yeah, right. I was gonna say something too. <laughs> that was not intentional, I swear to God. Um anyway. Pretend your puns, cowards. Uh what do we got? My number six? I didn't I didn't number them on yeah, my six. list. <laughs> uh is Kena Bridge of Spirits. Uh so this this is like a it's like a cinematic experience. Uh, but playable, and it's really good. 
Um, it is it is somewhat limited in scope, but it's also like a first time uh, developer, and so it's very ambitious, like on that end, as far as you know, the the first thing that a new studio has put out. Um, granted, they come from animation, so it's not surprising that it's more of a cinematic experience, but. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the chat keeps adding words I can't say, and I'm trying to make do my best with it. No, Dang it! Good. I'll keep. I just I just realized you. what I said. Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, it it plays similar to kind of a a Zelda type. Um, it, I I wouldn't call it like a Zelda clone, but the way it plays is at least. Like vaguely along those uh, that that structure, uh, you play as Kina, obviously, and um, she is assisted by these uh, these kind of little like like spirit motes. Like they're they're just these cute little almost Pikmin looking, uh, like Studio Ghibli monsters <laughs> and uh you collect more of them as you go as you uh as you get like certain thresholds of them they all get stronger um and like unlock new abilities and things like that um and the whole kind of point of the game is just to progress through the the story like area by area um, it's not so much like, you know, dungeons, it's more just you finish up an area, you kind of cleanse it of like the evil that's taken it over, uh, and then you move on to the next area. Um, but each, each of these areas kind of acts as like a, like an overall dungeon space, um, where there's, you know, puzzles and enemies and a boss. Um, it's just not like, like obviously like entering a dungeon, um so combat is tricky. Uh it's it's I wouldn't call it like Dark Souls or anything, but I think because your combat abilities are a little limited, uh and the enemies hit hard, it feels more difficult than it actually is. Um to the point where it kind of lost me after a while, I'll be honest. Um like I enjoy everything else except the combat, really. Um, but you have a staff, some magic assisted by the uh, the little you know sprites that are with you, and you eventually get some other abilities like um, kind of a like a spirit bow um, that can like grapple enemies closer to you or you know shoot ranged that kind of thing. So there's a good variety of things you can play around with. Uh, but I like the way they assist you in puzzle solving and like platforming more than I do the combat abilities. Um, because you have a, a, a parry and a roll, but they both feel a little chunky to actually do. And a lot of the things that aren't just like button mashing out, uh, staff combos, um, don't feel the best to like aim and uh actually like make work um like the you know the magic spells you can do for example 
Um, you can also have the little sprite dudes uh, like manipulate the field around you, and sometimes that factors into combat. But yeah, point is like the game is very unique, and that's why I hesitate to call it too too much like a you know a Zelda type thing because it's its own beast. Um, but I do really like it, and there's not really anything else that close to it. Um, but it's kind of a tough one for me to talk about because there's just a lot going on. Um, and I also can't say certain words right now. So (laughs) it's very good though. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's very pretty. Um, the story intrigues me more so like in the way it's told because, you know, very pretty cutscenes and stuff than the actual story itself. But, like, the characters are all super likable, too. Um, so, yeah. That's Kina. Alright, thank you for that, Justin. Now it's time for Tyler. Your number seven. Uh, six. Number six, actually. And Oh, number six. I'm sorry, number six. I have to ask you, gentlemen. Do you guys have the time? Oh, wait, I got it right here. Bum, oh, no. Bum. Oh, no, I got not this that again. again. <laughs> the clock! Gotta bring the it back. The clock returns! So yeah, uh, my number six, obviously, uh, is going to be Yu-Gi-Oh! Rush Duel, Dawn of the Battle Royale. God, I wish these games did not have such long, convoluted subtitles. Anyway... A Yu-Gi-Oh! Battle Royale game? As a veteran Yu-Gi-Oh! player of nearly 20 years at this point, I'm used to playing the card game as originally intended, so it's kind of a breath of fresh air to see that Rush Duel was familiar but shook things up just enough that it became a different beast altogether. This game takes place within the newest spin-off series, known as Yu-Gi-Oh! Sevens, and features characters from the show as well as the cards they use. You play as an unnamed protagonist who enters the city-wide rush tool tournament and take on everyone that stands in your way. The gameplay is traditional Yu-Gi-Oh! with a few twists. Firstly, you have access to only three monster and spell and trap zones. Secondly... You always start a turn by drawing cards from your deck until you have five, meaning that you'll never have a dead hand. Finally, you can normal summon more than once per turn, meaning you could theoretically bring out a bunch of weenie monsters and tribute them for a blue-eyes white dragon in a single turn. There's always a chance for you or the opponent to bounce back from a dire situation because of the extra summons and the extra draws, so duels never really feel one-sided and always keeps you on your toes. The only real sucky thing about this game is during the main campaign, you can't edit your own deck. You have to adhere to a character theme recipe deck for a big chunk of it. Also, there's Oof. a lot of Rush Tool exclusive cards here, meaning a bunch of unfamiliar monsters and effects could leave you guessing. But it's totally worth it to see Retrain Classics make it in, like Dark Magician, Red Eyes Black Dragon, Jinzo, Summon Skull, just to name a few. If the actual card game is a bit too much for you, and let's be real, it kinda is, this is a more simplified and hectic variation where there's always a chance to win. So yeah, that's cool. Hmm. So, my number six, this is very hard to put it here, it just barely missed the top five, but that just shows how strong my personal top five is to me. Number six is a game that we have anticipating since 2019 that came that came out... As a surprise to everybody. Like, I'm surprised it's out now. My number six is Axiom Verge 2. Okay. Um, I freaking 
love this game. The first one was really cool and atmospheric and horror This one blew away all my expectations. Instead of doing the same thing with maybe a different character, different map, different tools, Thomas Happ made a whole new game. Uh, I famously said for me uh, that he didn't make a Met- Metroidvania. He made a open world 2D side-scroller in which the world wasn't wasn't constructed like a 2D Metroidvania much more since it was like an open world that you had to find specific things to have access to. It, the world felt much more natural to explore and like the, up the mountain crevices or through caves and stuff like that. And the mystery of what the fuck is going on with this lore he's creating is fascinating and the connections it has to the first game is also really good. But I really love the twist that you actually lose your body about a good about a good ways into the game and your actual character is a robot drone. And I thought that was a really nice twist that I didn't see coming, but it made for some unique traversal options. It made me think about, well, how do I approach situations in certain areas? Oh, can I get that particular thing? What if I do this? It uh, Initially, I won't lie. It's it's very similar to Axe Verge 1. It's very tough at the beginning. But once you find that flow, once you understand how, this, how the mechanics work and traversing two different worlds, it becomes so beautiful. It's like... It's like I played a video game orchestra, if that makes any sense. It just, all the notes rang. Everything was perfect. Like, I, I it, if anything, this has set my expectations higher for whatever Axiom Verse 3 is going to be whenever that comes out. Because you know it's going to happen. Um, this is such a, I could feel all the love that he put into this game. That he, he slaved over every file every detail every little crevice was put with care and honestly this is the in terms of traversal in a 2d action game this is possibly the most unique options i've ever seen like i don't like just his it's this out of this world thinking that just made me appreciate it even more and it was fun to play whether i was a human robot thing or i was an actual drone um and oh god the music is also just mm, atmospheric but also like in in my head literally in my head after i would put it down on switch i would just be thinking about certain area themes um not just because i died a whole bunch of times in them but god for a a game that i was that came out axiom verge one that i really liked to make a sequel that i love and blew all my expectations out of the way what a fantastic surprise for us um, so it was tough to make, not make it the top five, but it's just because the top five is a little bit stronger for me, but Axiom Verge is a strong title that you haven't tried. Please try it. Try the first one. Hell, you could honestly try Axiom Verge 2 without playing Axiom Verge 1. It, mm-hmm. it, there, there's connections, but it's not necessary. So there it is you go. a prequel. That is, so. that is, yeah, exactly. It is a prequel game. Um, but that is why Axiom Verge 2 hits at number six. So mm. now, ladies and gentlemen... We are now at officially the halfway point. It is time for our number five, five, five picks. So my number five is not Axiom Verge 2, but I think it's funny that it, like, when we were talking about the game, it seemed like you liked it more than I did, but I actually put it higher on my list than you did. That's that's (laughs) really funny, right? (laughs) But anyway. Yeah. uh, My number five is Fist, Forged and Shadow Torch. So this was a very good year for Metroidvania games, and 
as a Metroidvania fan, I'll just say right now, my top five has three of them. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm happy. But this one is super cool because it's a unique indie game. Um, like original IP that, yes, has a Metroidvania formula, but it's closer to like kind of the, the Shadow Complex style of like 2.5D, um, very cinematic, very much like kind of that more industrial complex that you're exploring. Um, a lot of like weapon focused upgrades and things like that. Um, but in this one, you are an anthropomorphic rabbit, um, that was, I guess, part of some kind of like war resistance with a bunch of other anthropomorphic animals. Um, and you are tasked with kind of like the, like leading the resistance, like the retired resistance on a new mission, um, to stop this, like. Uh, this new threat that's trying to um, invade your like your home turf. I don't say I don't want to say town because it's larger than just a town. Um, and then but they basically took a like left turn, a wrong turn in Albuquerque, and then battles ensued. Yeah, it's like kind of two sides of the uh, of the country if you think of it that way. Um, and so you like you know get the gang back together and take on this threat. Uh, led by, like, an old adversary. Um, the story is kind of nonsense, honestly, but it's well told. Like, the game is very pretty, at least on PS5. Um, and it plays, like, butter. And it is a great mix of, um, like, platforming puzzle action and combat. Uh, whereas I kind of complained about the combat in Kina, uh, because I feel like your abilities don't feel as good. Um, this one, like, the combat is still tough. But you are given all of the resources to succeed. It's just hard. Um, so, like, while I'm not terribly good at it, it is satisfying combat. Um, it's just the enemies still hit hard, and you have to, like, learn to dodge and parry and, you know, that kind of thing. But it all feels very smooth to do. I'm just bad at it. Um, but a you lot of your abilities... You bottle to get good. Exactly. Um... There's carrot juice. There's not. There's not. Uh, get good juice, but there's carrot juice that you close enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so a lot of your abilities come from uh, the like augments to your, um, like your robot arm, basically. So you've got you know your your bunny fists, and then you have this like large kind of mechanical rig attached to your chest and back. Um, and you start with just a, a large fist that can you know punch real good. Um, that kind of thing. And then later you get both a, uh, like basically a propeller blade. Um, that's also like a, like a drill and, um, a, like a chain whip. Um, and those work in combat. So you can kind of toggle back and forth between whichever weapon you like the most, depending on your play style and, like, what kind of moves you want to be able to do. And each one has, like, upgradable combat or uh, combo systems and things like that that you can get through uh, skill points. And you also will get, like, actual um, upgrades for each of those things. So, like, the chain whip kind of acts like a, like a grapple beam. Um, 
you can grab on to specific like electrified uh grapple points and like launch yourself through the air like you know ori style um i i kind of think of the uh the ori ability that lets you like um fling yourself off of enemies and stuff and like the um the drill like i said is, has kind of a like a propeller blade um alternate to it and you can use that to like hover through the air or um like assist you in swimming because you have you know limited uh breath underwater but that like lets you go faster and kind of zip through the water um and then your uh your giant fist can like punch um certain switches to open up like locked doors and things like that so all of these tools together kind of assist you in exploring the world and opening up new areas um a lot of them will like wrap back around on each other uh so you might like find you know a locked door and then once you get around to the other side you'll find the switch you can punch to open that door and get back to where you were before and like it's just it's a very well built world um like you have your, you know, obviously your Metroidvania map and everything that guides you, but the way it kind of like naturally progresses you back to areas you've already been uh, to find collectibles you couldn't get before is is very smart in a way that a lot of Metroidvanias aren't. Um, and it has a really good fast travel system. Um, and yeah, it it it's a it's a very satisfying world to explore. And, like, while some of the collectibles aren't the most interesting thing in the world, like, there's a lot of just kind of colorful cosmetics for your outfit or your weapons. Um, there's also, like, you know, health upgrades, ammo upgrades. Um, there's a few different gadgets you can get. Like, for the most part, it's melee-focused combat. But you have, like, a um, like a shotgun you can get at one point. Um and you have kind of a gadget wheel you can switch between, like Spider-Man style, um, where one is kind of like a like a deflection shield, another is like a you know ranged attack, um, another is just like health boosts that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there, there's a there, there's a lot going on in the game, but it all kind of coalesces coalesces into something that's very interesting, and honestly, I thought it was going to be higher on this list before more games came out. <laughs> So what you're saying is you literally punched out. How long were you waiting to say that? <laughs> literally um, the entire tangent. Okay. Because I, I saw you there, like, just kind of waiting your turn, and I was being polite, but I, I assumed that that was why. I was waiting for a better opportunity, but it was more of a fist opportunity. Oof. <laughs> <sighs> uh, I mean, I have to be done there, right? All right, thank you. Tyler, number five. All right, number five. Let's go, boys. Uh, It is going to be Pokemon Shining Pearl, the exact opposite of what Justin had played. Mm. And it's a bit higher on my list, honestly. I'll admit, I was a bit skeptical about the Gen 4 remakes when they were showed off earlier last year. But nostalgia for OG Diamond and Pearl was enough for me to indulge in it. And I feel like an asshole for writing them off because... This is a damn good remake. Like, it's basic, mostly beat for beat, the the original, but it fixes most of the problems that I had with that generation. First off, HMs aren't mandatory for your main party anymore. 
You still need to break or move rocks and surf along bodies of water, but a handy Poketchap summons a wild Bidoof or a Bee Barrel to do that for you. Just like in the more recent entries, the entire party gains experience for winning battles, which is something that most can see as a negative since it decreases the overall difficulty, but I think it's just fine since it cuts down on grinding time. The Underground is probably the best thing from Diamond and Pearl that got the best changes hands down. You still dig up rare items and make hidden bases like before, but the additions of random habitats for rare Pokemon not found normally in Sinnoh is awesome. Like, I caught all of the, of the starters that were available uh, right after post-game, and that was one of the coolest feelings ever, because Trico's my favorite Pokemon, and being able to just catch it is one of the best feelings in the world. So, yeah, uh, I enjoyed Shining Pearl much more than I thought I would, and it was nice to play through a modern Gen 4 without the long, drawn-out battles or obnoxiously long save times. Granted, it's still a baby RPG for babies, but I still think it's a solid remake overall. All right. Thank you very much. My number five to kick off the top five. Top five, top five, top five. I should get a soundboard, damn it. Um, or something. Uh, my number five is Guardians of the Galaxy. A game that was shown off at E3, just similar to another game that's in my top five. Out of nowhere, we had no idea this game existed. Maybe there were rumors, but I didn't pay attention to them. And I remember my exact reaction to when this game came out. Okay. That, that was it. And um, I was able to grab a copy of, of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, on Thanksgiving Day. And I played it. And I'm going to do this without talking about the other games. So that's the last time you're going to hear me say that. This I'm not the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Um, I love the movies and I've read some of the comics. But I'm not really attached to those characters. Like I say, I'm Spider-Man or the X-Men stuff like that. But this game made me want to. This game had everything. Amazing characters, a great story, a story that fucking made me cry at the end. Like, outright, like, I, I need to put the controller down and just hold myself for five minutes. Um, it, like, really interesting combat. Beautiful, explorative levels that just scratched my itch of color, wonder, and, and just zeist. Uh, and all of it, and, and the best part of it all, is it captured that Marvel spirit, that sense of adventure, the Marvel Universe as it were to be. And it's every single time I thought, that whether it's a big set piece or a quiet moment, this game never, never let me down. It never gave me up. Um, okay, never mind. Um, it was such... A wondrous experience, and it let me fight one of the coolest entities in the Marvel Universe. I won't say who it is, because I don't want it ruined for you. Howard it wasn't ruined for me, but uh, I won't let it be ruined for you. It wasn't ruined for me, but I'll let you find out when you play this wonderful game. And the combat system, I thought I was going to hate just playing a Star-Lord. Like, Star-Lord? Well, I, why do I only get to play a Star-Lord? I want to play as Drax and... They made it work. Playing as Peter Quill, Star-Lord, is so much fun. Just his first power-up is being able to fly across the arena. That basic power, that ability you get, is so cool. I felt like a superhero. It felt like I was just, just flying around going pew, pew, pew. And 
and and and the platforming sections where you had to figure out what how to traverse areas. It was just well done, and I love how crazy the combat can be. Just enemies all over the place, and commanding. Okay, Drax, you throw this fire hydrant in them. Um, uh, uh, Grocket, strap that bomb down. Groot, shoot your vines up to shoot them down. Okay, Rocket, launch a bomb that can bring them together. It's just the amount of like thinking you can do. Like you are the general, you are the ring general, and you, uh, or rather, you are the uh, the conductor making this orchestra sing, making it come to life. And the best part, the fucking best part of that game is the is the huddle mechanic, where you, after you build a certain amount of meter, uh, your team will huddle. And you will, it will come together, and you have to basically choose specific words to like get your momentum up and and and, so, and stuff like that. And it and the best part is it ends with a licensed song, and it's it always it always got me pumped up. Like you could tell, uh, the team making this just had fun making it. It was ah, uh, if this is the it, like, I really hope. This is the the spirit of Marvel games we're gonna get, because this is what I want. Um, this is what I want, and it all works. All of it works because you cared about Star Lord and his story. You cared about the Guardians as not just a team, but as a family. And that's why Guardians of the Galaxy is number five. And it that's was why Vin Diesel strong- isn't in the game. That's why it's such a strong presence for me. There's so many little Easter eggs, so many wondrous things. Um, God, I want to play it again, and I will play it again. Go play Gardens of the Galaxy. Okay. All right. It is now time for the Fatal Four. The final four. It's time for horseman business, ladies and gentlemen. Justin. Number four, if you will, please. Yeah, my number four is Axie Verge 2. Wow. Uh, so another Metroidvania on here. And honestly, Ben, you pretty much covered uh, the main things I wanted to talk about on it. But the reason it's so high, even though I didn't like it as much like early on, is because it's just very sad like the the order of um of items and stuff you get throughout is very satisfying like the first game very much felt like metroid um i mean a lot of what you get are kind of like analogs to metroid abilities like the drone or your morph ball you get a bunch of different weapons you get kind of like the um like almost the screw attack equivalent with like basically a a cloak that can like burn through enemies um the main new thing there was like kind of the the glitch elements um whereas this one felt like entirely new there's still like there's definitely some uh some elements of the first game there with uh you have a drone and you know a few things like that like there's a new glitch ability but it definitely felt like it wanted to uh carve its own way and it does a very good job of that because for example um you mentioned that you know at, at one point you basically lose your body and just become your drone 
Um, and you spend a good portion of the game, like, just as a pretty defenseless little drone. Um, and then, eventually, you regain a body, but it's not your body. Um, and you can basically toggle back and forth between your drone and your body at any given time. Which is so cool and unique and special. And each of those forms, then, get their own abilities. So it's not like the drone is just, like, you know, a morph ball thing that gets you through gaps. It actually has, like, its own set of skills. You basically have two characters that both get upgrades throughout the game. And you can toggle back and forth between them at will. And the world has to accommodate this kind of more open structure where, like... You know, you might be able to switch over to drone and, like, hover across a gap and then, like, grapple up onto a ledge, switch to human while in the air, and do, like, a double jump and climb up a wall. Like, the amount of mobility that the game gives you is incredible. And the mostly open world map basically lets you kind of explore it at your leisure um, just if you are able to make it certain places. Um, and some of the things you are trying to find, like the, um, you know, optional uh, power-ups and stuff you're trying to find are very well hidden. Because not only are you toggling between two characters, you're also toggling between two worlds. Um, where you have kind of the real world and, like, the virtual world, which looks a lot more like the Axiom Verge 1 environment. Um, and so, you know, you could go into a portal that takes you to the other world... And then come out in a totally different area that, like, you can only access by coming out at that point. Um, and so, like, you can see an upgrade that's, like, totally blocked off. Like, walls on all sides. And you have to just kind of figure out, like, how to navigate the world to get to that little alcove through all of your abilities and the two different worlds you can switch between. Um, and it's got some of those, like, open world elements... Where, like, you know, the world's your oyster and you're just given the abilities to succeed. But it doesn't feel as overwhelming as the average open world game that I don't really enjoy. Um, the only thing that kind of gets me about the game is, like, almost all of the um, bosses are optional. And that's kind of a bummer. Because there's some really cool bosses, but they feel like almost nothing. Because they're just kind of, like, pieces of weak points all stuck together to make this large creature, like, you know, the original game had, but they're just aimlessly floating out in the open world, and they don't do much in the way of attacking you, because you can completely skip them, so if they're too aggressive, you wouldn't be able to get past them. Um, and if you start attacking them, they just kind of, like, float towards you and occasionally, like, shoot beams or whatever. Um, they never felt hard to beat. And a few of them are just, like, in your path, but you can walk right past them and they won't bother you. A few others you have to actually, like, seek out. And the only thing you ever get from them is ability points, which you can pretty much max out by the end of the game. So I never felt much incentive to actually, like, seek out these optional bosses, even though they're cool, because I didn't need the abilities. Um, so I kind of wish they could have retooled that a little bit because some of the boss encounters in the first game were like my favorite parts of that game with like the scale of them and everything and like kind of the strategy needed to beat them. Um, whereas here, like even the, you know, final boss that you have to fight isn't that hard. It feels more like a story battle. 
Um, so yeah, you nailed it with all the stuff about like the story and and like exploration and just surprise of it all. But I did want to talk a little bit more about the exploration and like overall structure of the game um, because it's extremely solid and there's really like it, it took what was basically you know a Metroid game for people that like were tired of not having a new Metroid game and like turned it into its own thing that's neither a Metroid or a Castlevania clone um, even though it's you know in the quote unquote Metroidvania genre so yeah it's awesome all right, Tyler, number four. All right, so my number four is going to be a three. No More Heroes 3, to be exact. I adore it when games and other media take the piss and just has fun with whatever ridiculous material it works with. And no other series exemplifies that more than No More Heroes. The reverse cover art on the box calling itself Goddamn Superhero should give you an idea how wacky this long-awaited sequel is. This game takes place about 10 years after No More Heroes 2, just like in real life, go figure, during an alien invasion where an older Travis Touchdown gets himself caught up in another top 10 ranked assassin ladder. All the ranked fights are fun and memorable, as most of these guys are quirky aliens with their own gimmicks, or kill-stealing humans that have beef with either Travis or the guy behind the controller. In between Mm -hmm. the ranked fights is traveling the hub worlds on your Akira-inspired motorcycle, Something that I kind of miss in No More Heroes 2. And you get money from odd jobs and mook rushes to progress. Combat feels much more intuitive and responsive than the other games. And the new Death Globe skills and the mecha transformation are a godsend. It still has that signature grasshopper jank. And the choice to opt out of the cel-shaded anime look didn't do the graphics any favors. But I can still say that this is the best game in the series. It's as goofy and over-the-top as the first game, and probably then some, and I can pick this up and have a good time anytime. So yeah, that's my number four. Alright, thank you. So, my number four is a game with a franchise that if I didn't love this game, I would never play this franchise again, because then I would just make the say that it was not for me. My number four is Monster Hunter Rise. For the longest time, this game was number one. I fell in love with this game. I put almost over, almost 300 hours into the game. Um, Number one, it's a technical marvel on Switch with how good it looked and how well it ran. Um, Like, it's, it's a miracle that game works as well as it does. But also how, as a Monster Hunter noob, I was able to jump into the game get all these new all these different mechanics undown and pretty much understand what I was doing and just have fun. Uh, the wire bug is possibly what made this game for me and just being able to it's again you guys know me uh, movement and co- movement and combat is integral to how I enjoy a game. So being able to zip around back and forth in between battles is so is so essential to me. Um, and uh and so, uh, it, it, it made exploration very, very fun. It made combat very, very fun. Um, and the monster designs are so good. And the best part for me is that, um, is, uh, I, 
was uh, able to all these monsters, whether they're new or old, they were all new to me. So I was constantly just being like, "Look at this big motherfucker!" Or like, "Oh shit!" And uh, and I mostly stuck with the big sword because there's something satisfying about wielding that big Buster Blader uh, and just whacking sh- anim- whacking big giant ass monsters with it. It is so satisfying to play it. Buster Blader, Yu Gi Oh. I'm gonna be honest with you. The real reason it's this high. While I enjoyed the single player a lot, and and I was really surprised that I was able to play this game by myself for the most part with almost little to no trouble. It was definitely harder in the uh, some of those mo- modes that are definitely intended for multiplayer, but they able to, they scale it enough to where like it's it's doable. It's harder, but it's doable. But what um, really made this game for me was playing with Thomas. That was what made it really really special. I bought him a copy and we we played and we played and we played and we played. Uh there are crazy ass moments where we saw Magna Malo fucking get spot get fucking fly high with another elder, elder dragon and just crash him down into the earth. It was it was so cool. So many hype moments with him. They weren't even stream moments and it didn't matter. The only thing matters is I was playing Monster Hunter with, with him and that was it. And that and that to me shows like the power of co op Monster Hunter with the person you know and a person you like tagging with. Um that's why he's my tag team that's why he's my partner when it comes to this. So Monster Hunter may have dropped further if I didn't play with him, but it etched itself into the top four because I played with him. And I, I'm deeply glad I was able to buy him a copy of that game for it. So that is why Monster Hunter Rise is number four. So, Justin, please, what is your... What is your number three pick? It's time for the final three. Uh, real quick before that, can you give me your first? I, I'm trying to make our lists Look on here. Look Discord. Um, thank you. Oh, I had the order wrong. Okay, thank you. Um, anyway, my number three is Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, another one that... I did not expect to even be on the list, much less so high. But for basically all the same reasons you said, like, it's super good. Um, I don't like the combat, uh, but, like, everything else about it makes up for it in a way that, like, I don't really care that the combat's kind of meh, because I can just drop it to easy and not have to think about the combat, and the rest of the game is still super fun. And honestly, like... It doesn't really feel like a game that's built around its combat. Like, there are certain sections where you can do the dialogue in a way that, like, you know, the combat ahead is simplified. Like, more people help you or whatever. Or, um, like, you go through the section entirely without combat. Um, depending on the choices you make and stuff. And granted, you know, sometimes it means, like, you have more waves to fight or whatever. But... The entire thing is choice-based, and I love that. Like, it makes me kind of want to play it again and make some different choices, except for the fact that, like I said, I don't really care for the combat, and you can't get away from that stuff. Um, but, like, I just want to, like, maybe, you know, watch some other people play through 
um, to see the other choices you can make and how drastically they have an effect on the game because there's some pretty major changes you can get. Um, like I know specifically uh, towards the end of the game, like during the final fight, depending on how you acted um, toward like certain characters depends on whether or not they come to like, you know, your assistance in the final fight. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And also, like, there's some actually pretty solid, like, dogfight sections, too, um, that make me want this team to maybe make a Star Fox game. Um, you know, just just try it. Why not? We uh, but, yeah, the, the characters are great. Uh, the character interactions are great. Um, Thomas is great for being the reason that I could play this. And, yeah, I had no idea that it was going to... Uh, grace the top 10, much less the top three. Uh, but here we are. A, a year of surprise releases. I will just say that. <laughs> Alright. Tyler, number three, please. My number three is actually going to be Ben's number four, Monster Hunter Rise. I bought this game somewhat on a whim, but also because I knew that Ben here got it as well, and that we can hunt monsters together. That's how it went initially, but I ended up falling in love with this game just by playing it by myself. This is the first game in the series that I seriously dabbled in from my recollection, and it's probably the most accessible one from the get-go. The amount of customization for your hunter is staggering, from the weapons and fighting styles you can use, to the gear that you and your dog and cat companions can put on. Chasing and fighting a wide variety of monsters is thrilling and keeps and constantly keeps you vigilant as the tide of battle can change on a whim, and landing the killing blow is always so satisfying. The game is constantly growing from free updates and upcoming DLC expansions, so there's always something new and exciting to go back to. Honestly, I really haven't played this in a few months after clearing the main campaign, but I can confidently pick up where I left off and fight monsters like a champion. But yeah, other than that, Ben pretty much just nailed it on the head. It's just a good time if uh, you're either playing it by yourself or with friends. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, Justin. Don't kill me. Number three. Another game that came out of nowhere that was long rumored to be developed that, shit, who knew, is this actually real? Is it real? And it's real. Number three goes to Metroid Dread. It's very hard between these final three. Number three? Number three. I have very good reasons why number one and two are that I might cry on stream, so yeah. I don't um, believe you. Metroid Dread is the king of all Metroids. And it proves... Apparently it's the number three of all Metroids. Metroid Dread is the king of so all salty. Metroid Manias. And that even though that a 2D side-scrolling Metroid game has been gone since 2004, that it, can, it comes back with a force. This game never stopped... With its action, never stopped with its atmosphere. It just kept going like a freight train from start to, oh my god, what a finale finish. It has the best combat 
in the entire series. It has the best exploration options in the entire series. It has the best boss battles in the entire series. It has the best movement option options in the entire series. It is perfection personified. Every time I play this game, I don't want to stop. It was a pleasure to play as Samus Aran in a new, beautiful 2.5D experience with possibly the best background visuals I've ever seen in a Metroidvania. And especially on the Switch, uh, a console that is that does not have the power that, say, other consoles or a PC has. Sure, the load times can become problematic. Sure, they can become problematic. But it doesn't matter because once you're in that game, that fidelity just fucking sticks. It just sticks. And the amount of story and lore that they put into this game, you can tell that the team, that Mercury Steam, wanted to deliver the best Metro game possible. They did not want to disappoint fans. That they wanted to show that their years of waiting were not worth were not worthless. That there's a reason why Samus Aran is still revered to this day. Metroid Dread is the best action game of the year. And it definitely shows why Metroid is close to my heart. And why no other Metroidvanias can compete with it. That is why Metroid Dread is number three. So now it is time. We have two more picks remaining Justin, number two, please. Um, I'm not talking to you, so I will tell Tyler my number two. Wow. <laughs> no, it's fine. I totally understand. Um, but I will show you my number two uh, because I just switched. Just Ew, over. don't show us your number two. What? It's gross. That's against TOS. <laughs> I just switched us over to a list view um, because I was having a hard time keeping track of everyone's picks. Um, so yeah, my number two is Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, when this game... I'm trying to think. Around the time this game was coming out, I assumed it was going to be my number one. Um, because it looked amazing. It was the reason I bought a PS5, and it's friggin' Ratchet and Clank. Like, I did a whole retrospective on this series leading up to it. Like, I was very it's excited. It's so good. If you got hours to burn, then watch those videos. Thank you. Um, it is hours, though. <laughs> Whoops. But, yeah. Uh, the, the, like, it's, it's the best Ratchet and Clank game. I will say that. Um, it just could not be my number one. Um for obvious reasons, probably. But, uh, yeah, it, it perfects the formula here where you've got all the crazy weapons, the cool gadgets, the, you know, visually interesting worlds, but it also, like, one-ups the story and, like, gives you new and interesting characters and also like remixes old characters in cool ways. And just the, the way it is a showcase of the PS five's power just puts it a, a step above the rest because like 
I mean, you can seamlessly transition every everywhere. Like, there's not a loading screen in the entire game. Um, there's a few, like, thinly veiled loading screens of, like, you know, spaceships flying or whatever. But even that's pretty quick. It's more for the animation than the actual loading. Um, there's really cool, like, dimension hopping elements... Um, like that are also seamless. You basically hit a crystal and like you're in a different dimension and then you hit it again and you're back and like it loads the entire other dimension with the hit, with the, the swing of the wrench. Um, it takes what's already one of the best platformers out there and ramps it up to 11. And it's, I mean, it's definitely the best game on the PS5. Um, I I know that there's not a lot of competition, but <clears> if you <throat> have one and you haven't played this yet, I mean, do it. Like, what are, what are you waiting for? <laughs> waiting on the world to change. Okay, John Mayer. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. Uh, yeah. Tyler. Number two. So my number two pick is actually going to be Ben's number 10, which I think is bullshit blazing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I totally respect your decision to make him number 10. It's Guilty Gear Strive. Of course a fighting game had to make my list. And Arc System Works never really does, uh, really uh, never fails to please. It's got everything that I look for and that I enjoy in a fighting game. A diverse roster that all stands on their own. A heavy metal soundtrack that I absolutely adore so much. And a more simplified fighting system compared to earlier entries that's easy to learn, yet hard to master. Landing a combo that deals a buttload of damage is one of the most gratifying things in the world. And you can do that with just about anyone in the cast. Even on the basis level of fighting game knowledge. Speaking of which, the move list is one of the best I've seen in a long time, giving you a detailed explanation of special moves and any special properties, like causing extra hit stun or if it launches on a counter hit or anything like that. The game's online feels really good for the most part, since Arxis had the hindsight to use Rollbat Netcode for uh, their fighting games, but connecting to the battles via lobbies sucks so much, as Ben has described earlier. It's easily the worst part of the game, but... That's really my only gripe with an otherwise fantastic fighting game I think anyone can jump into and just push buttons. You don't really need prior knowledge of any of Guilty Gear's insanely convoluted lore to enjoy this game, and it helps that it's instantly accessible to newcomers. We already know the smell of this ga- of the game, and it smells damn good. <sighs> okay. Thank you, thank you, Tyler, for that. I really appreciate that. My number two is a game that I didn't know about. Uh, that didn't know anything. Um, she would ask me in t- at the beginning of last year, what's a game you're looking forward to? And it was this one I would have said, what are you talking about? Who are you and why are you in my house? Thank you to Luis, uh, who, was our, who was one of our guests uh, earlier in this year, for doing a video on this. Um, and I did not realize it was going to resonate with me as much as it did. My number two 
is The Artful Escape. And no, I did not fuck up the title this time. Yay. Um, I initially saw his review, and I was like, I want to check this out. And I thought I was going to get a, you know, maybe a rhythm game, you know, with some cool guitar stuff, with some flashing lights. No. I mean, I got that, but I got a game about identity. I got a game about self-discovery, about finding who you are, despite other people telling you, no, you're not that. You can't be that. This is what you have to be. Why are you doing that? Um, and it was a tale that hit really close to home um, because of who I am and what I, I and I revealed to my dad who I am this year um, and to know that he was accepting of it. So this story really hit close to home that I don't have to be what other people perceive of me. Um And I was able to live that journey through this game where this uh, kid is, his uncle was a famous folk singer and he doesn't want to be that. He's not that. He's a glam rocker. He's, he wants to string it out among the cosmic starways. And he does. Um, Besides it connecting with me on an emotional level, this game visually is the prettiest game I played this year. Full of color, full of life, full of just energy that just, just trod-shopping beautiful. Um, and it really, it really captures that sci-fi, out-of-this-world feeling. Like you're looking at a rock album from like the 1980s. And it's just this crazy concept album that it's, it's, it's telling a story through music. And that's what makes it work for me. Um, and I liked the, the, the discovery. It's it's ebb and flows. Okay, first you're like, I'm not sure about this. Then you're like, yeah, I am really sure about this. Then you have those doubts. And then finally you have that moment when you're jamming against an intergalactic space space beast. And she wants your approval. And then you, then you realize, no, this is who I am. This is what I am. And I shouldn't have to deny that to anybody regardless of what you think I'm supposed to be this is my path and I've chosen my path and I think that's why um, it's number two for me because it just hit close to home in a way I didn't expect it to Um, I have been saying this on my Twitter for several months please go play this game it's not long it's it's it, it won't take up most of your time it's just powerful and um its soundtrack is second to none whether it's instrumental or the actual vocals with folk music i'm not a guy who likes folk music i wouldn't be caught listening to folk music to save my life but here it just it just works um it just i don't i don't know how else to explain it it was a magical experience it was like I was taken on a trip to the Cosmic Extraordinary and I've never come back. That's why number two is the Artful Escape. Okay. It's time. What? I think for a lot of us, this is uh, self-explanatory given how the lineup has gone. But I think... 
it's time for us to speak with what works, you know? Justin, please tell us your game of the year. So, um, I, I didn't expect to have to follow that up. Um, but, I mean, in a lot of ways, my number one is just as important. Um, not so much, like, on a spiritual level, but just, you know, personally um, to the uh, the um, like path I've been on in, in my life and like, you know, the, the things that are important to me, but my number one is Metroid dread. Um, this game was 19 years in the making. Like I remember, you know, granted I was raised on Metroid games. I had one and actually two and three all as a kid, um, I played the crap out of Super Metroid growing up, but the first one that came out, like, you know, after I was already a fan, was Metroid Fusion. Um, I loved that game. It was, like, a staple in my uh, Game Boy Advance. Um, I have so many memories of playing through that, like, when I was in school, and it's always stuck with me. I don't know why. Um I think because it was kind of an evolution of the series uh, with, like, the, you know, the more story-focused elements of it. Um, I personally liked the linear structure. And it was bold. Like, it, you know, it did things to Samus that you can't take back. Um, And I always wondered, like, where they would even go from there. Um, I've speculated this over and over the years. Even, you know, put a video out about it a few years ago um, with my ideas of what a sequel would be. And surprise, surprise, they announced this year we're finally getting that sequel. Um, And, you know, like Nintendo does, they announced it six months before it was due out. I think it was an E3 really or E3 announcement, wasn't it? Yeah, it was back in June. It was an E3 announcement. Yeah, I was trying to remember if it was announced before Ratchet and Clank came out, Um, because I think I was like, I think we were on the E3 call, and I was like, well, Ratchet and Clank's not going to be my number one anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it it was announced. It looked amazing. Um, Like, I teared up a little bit at the reveal. And then they dropped the October release date. And I was like, this, this, like, we're getting that this year. Like, after all this wait, we're finally getting it. And, you know, I splurged on the special edition of it. Like, it was one of those things where it's like, it'll really suck if this is a bad game. <laughs> and it, it wasn't. It was everything that I wanted in a Metroid sequel. Um, it had the more, like, open world structure of Super Metroid mixed with the more story-focused, like, world-evolving, or world-changing, I should say, um, structure of Metroid Fusion. And somehow it made both of them work together. Um, Like, you can break the game up to a point, but if you break it too much, it stops working or stops functioning as intended. I've seen all kinds of videos of, like, you know, things are supposed to happen in a certain way, and they just don't because... You broke it too much. Um, But 
unlike Metroid Fusion, which you basically can't break at all, the 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 developers actually like put in moments that incentivize you to sequence break, um, like little little teases, like being able to um, easy kill Kraid if you get a few items out of order. Um, and the only way you know that you can even do that is because there is a morph ball slot, like in the boss chamber where where Kraid is, or morph ball bomb slot, I should say. Um, and you can open it up, but you can't do anything in it because you don't have bombs yet, like you know normal normally, um, that kind of thing. And like there's bosses that can be one hit killed with a speed booster. If you can figure out how to use it against them, that kind of thing. Like, it is built for speedrunners, but it's also built very, like, new gamer friendly. Um, because it will guide you along the way in a way that makes you think that it's linear. Um, but all you have to do is not go down the intended path, and pretty much the whole map is open to you. Um, there's a few points where it does block you off, or at least block you out of certain areas, but for the most part, you can go anywhere if you just don't follow the path ahead of you. Um, but, like, it also has some very smartly laid out teleporter rooms and, um, you know, elevators between areas and things like that that kind of naturally guide you to the next place without just saying, hey, Here's where you got to go next. See you there. Like Fusion does. Um, yes, there is still navigation rooms where you get talked at. But that also plays into the story in really cool ways. And never really just like points you where to go next. It more just kind of hints at like the overall theme of things. Except and gives your you... helplessness. Yeah. And gives you pointers. And also talks about how sexy Ravenbeak is. <laughs> Stupid sexy ace. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I have very few complaints about the game. And most of them are um, just kind of from a nitpicky standpoint. Of like, this is what I would have liked to see. Or like, you know, the story didn't go in the direction that I thought it would. That kind of thing. Um, the ending is a little rushed. I know there was some development issues, like the game had originally had a larger scale, um, like with more bosses and stuff, and that's why you get kind of an excess of some of those um, uh, like robot soldier fights toward the end because they just they scrapped some of the bosses and put those in there instead. But like, even not knowing that stuff, I was like, I'm fine with these. It would have been cool to have more bosses. But what's there are some of the best ones we've ever gotten. Like, it's a game that's tough. I don't think there's a single boss that's just a missile sponge in the whole game. Um, they all take, like, strategy and have multiple phases. And, like, you will die a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, but I just beat my second run of, like, basically sequence breaking. And I had a lot easier time with the final fight. Um, but it's still like, it's one of those where if you, if you just try to missile spam it, you won't win. You have to know, um, that you can, uh, basically, you know, do a, do a dodge, do a melee counter parry 
against certain moves to actually initiate the next phase of the fight. Um, otherwise, you're just going to keep recycling the same thing and initi- and like initiating the same like you know counterable move without ever actually getting past that phase. Um, so you have to pay attention and be on guard, and it's really cool. Like they, that's not something that's that anyone else has ever really done with a Metroid game, except for you know, Samus Returns, which Mercury Steam also did, um, and pretty much all of these battles are up there with like Diggernaut in that game, um, the very tricky multi-phase fights and. That's like the one example they got in that game of a fight that's not just a Metroid. <laughs> and they nailed it. So like seeing pretty much all original fights in this game was just incredible. And that that first playthrough obviously I can never get that back, but like actually having like a totally new Metroid game for the first time in 19 years was something so special this year. And like I said, I can't recreate it, but I can gush about it here for, you know, however long I have been. Um, And that's pretty special, too. Thank you. Thank you for that. Tyler, number one. So my number one is definitely not going to get me crucified on this channel. Um, It is also Metroid Dread. This isn't my number one of 2021 because my of the God. crowd I familiarize, familiarize myself with, but because it rightfully deserves the crown on multiple angles. First of all, Dread's announcement was completely out of left field, and everyone was hyped to get a new Metroid so soon. And it delivers on the hype and then some for probably the most tightly crafted game in the series I played thus far. It sees the return of the badass bounty hunter Samus Aran, fresh from defeating the SAX in Metroid Fusion and heading off to eradicate another known ex-parasite on an uncharted planet. From there, she deals with not only hostile alien inhabitants and eventually exes, but also seven deadly scout robots called the Emmys, who are probably the scariest enemies in the series yet. These things are completely invulnerable unless you get the limited use Omega Beam, so you gotta avoid these thing, these things before they insta-kill you. The Emmy sections never fail to tense me up, and even after I get various armor and power upgrades to help with exploration, it's still a nerve-wracking experience. Traversing through ZDR is probably the most invested I've been in a Metro game, and there's always something new and cool to find as you find various upgrades, some new and others better than before. The melee counter introduced in Samus Returns is always satisfying to pull off and is my go-to method of dealing with enemies, whether it's the fodder or a tough boss fight. Even when I'm backtracking to areas I already visited, I never once felt bored playing through this game. The prospect of finding something after stumbling on an important upgrade is an intoxicating feeling and carried me through it until the very end with one of the coolest climaxes I've experienced in a while. This is a long-awaited sequel that surpasses any expectation I had before, and it helped make me forget how much of a shit year 2021 was for me personally. <laughs> so yeah, Super Metro Dread is super fun, and I can't wait to see where the series goes from here. It also helped that uh, I also got to experience this game alongside a bunch of other folks that are either playing through Metro for the first time or series veterans that have a bigger stake in the series than I ever did. Uh, so yeah, 
that's my number one, and I am absolutely glad to share this experience with all of you guys. Yeah, I will say real quick before we move on, like that's another big like enjoyment out of this game was the community. Because since it's been so long, there's a lot of people that this was their first Metroid game where they were going back into the series in preparation for, you know, this one. Um, I even kind of did that myself, even though I'm, you know, very familiar with them all. I still kind of wanted to have them fresh in my mind to get ready for it. And, yeah. like, the the Metroid subreddit has just been a treat these last six months. So. Yeah, and seeing and seeing your retrospective on older Metroid uh, videos leading up to this was also really fun to go through because mm-hmm. it it let me catch up with the series thus far, and uh, those are also some well crafted videos that you made, and uh, yeah, uh, you you've done good, man. You're <laughs> you proved yourself uh, the go to Metroid guy of Charge Shot. I hope so. I'm just gonna start typing bids in. <laughs> Okie dokie. I already know what it is. Number one. It's been a long year. Um, and it was really hard to pick out of the final three what was number one. And it was, I won't lie to you guys, it was really hard to not pick Dread because it would have been cool, right, to have all of us pick Dread at number one, but... It would have been. There, there was another game that was really special to me this year that came out at the right that at least came out on game pass at the right time i should say um my number one game of the year is it takes two um i famously played uh, a way out with tyler during my birthday last year uh, which was a lot of fun and i yeah, think we had, we had known about it takes two for a while i remember the trailer and then that's it and then i remember the game came out i was like oh, i'll buy it eventually and it came on game pass and luckily me and thomas needed a game to play and let's try this game you know i hadn't really heard i heard people liked it but i didn't really know much about it and it is easily my game of the year because it combines amazing gameplay a heart-wrenching story and um just overall a good a a very amazing experience into one package and what makes it memorable to me is because of its story and it's basically about a couple who are not at the best of times and they are pretty much getting a divorce and their daughter is doing everything she can to make her mom and dad happy to the point where she believes it's her fault that they are getting divorced and i know a lot of us out there understand that pain um i personally i think i've said i shared this on my own stream when we when i streamed this that my mom famously blamed me for my dad going off with another woman so i like this game really hit home for me it was almost like i was looking in a glass mirror where everything worked out um but what was beautiful about it is is that it makes it combines the gameplay of you and your partner working together with your with you with the couples the two the two the couple working together so as 
initially you're you're butting heads you're making snide comments to each other you're they're just snipping at each other constantly but as you go further and further into the game they like they're complimenting each other they're like saying wonderful beautiful things to each other and they're reminding each other why they love each other um and what really brings it home is how drastically different each section of this game can be like it almost it feel it, like it's great when you play it's it, it's crazy cuz when you play this game there are points you're going to think am i even playing the same game anymore but it doesn't feel awkward it feels cohesive it feels natural one minute you're in a toy kingdom the next thing you know you're in outer space tearing apart a bear doll to make your daughter cry so you can wake up from your horrible spell um and every single section was just one big like oh my god this is amazing moment after another my personal favorite being the ice area where you get to just figure skate around and you're you're using these magnets to bring each other together a little heavy-handed but it works <laughs> um like it's crazy to me how it just works and i honestly think it works because it's core focus is that cooperative experience that it doesn't matter how many times the gameplay style changes or the co- or the mechanics change as long as you have that co- it's about teamwork whether it's both the narrative and the gameplay it works and honestly this game does not work without its strong narrative it doesn't work without it because at at, the, at that point you're just playing you know random platform challenges that are meaningless um, and it, and it's just another solid platformer, which is fine. But uh, that's what really brings it home is the narrative. And I, I, um, it just, uh, it just made me think a lot. And, um, that even, um, made me like, as I was, as we were ending the game, um, and how everything turned out okay, despite everything in there, it made me think about last year, where my uh, where my grandmother passed away. Um, it made me think about that. Even though the situation's not the same, it made me think that even despite all this craziness, all this um, changes and. At the end of the day, it's it's okay because I'm still here. I'm still here with you guys, and it just hit with me. That's it. and anybody who's never been to this show or listened to this show knows that I rate games differently than most people because I don't care about the technical aspects. I don't care about is it running at 60 FPS consistently or has a 4K resolution option on Steam. I don't care about that. I care about what how a game makes me feel what am i feeling in a game am i and and to me this brought out everything i could want in a video game and and in case of what i'm feeling right now what i don't want to feel but that to me it shows that it worked that this brilliant man behind the studio behind this team 
has a vision and he brought it out and he wanted to share as like, something tells me it was a very personal story for him because you don't you don't write about this stuff without being somewhat personally close and because of all that because of its stellar switches in gameplay because of how fun it was between gameplay sections um and overall, because of how it impacted me from a uh, from a personal standpoint, that is why it takes two as my game of the year. No other game came close to making me feel this way, and and again, similar to Monster Hunter Rise, thank you, Thomas, for playing that game with me, buddy. You're the best tag team partner I could ever ask for, man. Um, and That's thank beautiful. you for. For playing with me, even though it was a very dark time back in the summer, so I think we can all agree that Thomas is our real game of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know that's an emotional pick. Dread should probably be it, but and Dread spoke to me on a different level. But it takes two. Um, just it just wowed me. Nothing, nothing else compared. Nothing, and I. I, I can't wait to see what uh, what this team has next. I, I really can't wait. Um, all right, guys, um, I that's gonna do it. It was a it's a really long show. Um, so as you can see on the Twitch um, page, our game of the years are there. Um, and of course, check the Shard Shot Twitter account. We'll have it on there for recaps. But thank you all for being here. Um, or listening, if you're listening to this on the go, it was very, very pleasurable as always. Usually, this is my, this is one of my favorite shows to do of the year. Besides like Ether, your Game Awards, it's just a fun thing mm-hmm. to like think back of what we played. Um, not a lot of overlap I expected, except between me and Justin a couple times. Like obviously, Metroid being the, the big critical thing. Um, okay, I think, I think Metroid Dread time... is the one game we all played. Yeah, Metroid. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's go ahead and pack it up and go home, rest, because Chart Shot's back in 2022, and trust me, I have some changes in mind, and i got to run it by these guys first, but Chart Shot's going to be doing some changing going into the year. Uh, Justin, please tell the beautiful people where they can find your wonderful stuff. Um, well, it sounds like I'm about to be fired, but you could have seen me. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think I'm kidding. I might, I might, I might be kidding. Um, you can find me if you look for Zero Score on Twitter or YouTube or here on Twitch. Um, I have some stuff coming. Um, I had a bit of like an ADHD spike and came up with some video ideas for this month, so I still need to finish up. I'm about halfway done with my. Uh, uh, Metroid Fusion retrospective video. Nice. Um, and then I'm going to try to get an actual game of the year video and TV show of the year. Um, because I feel like it's been a really good year for shows. Like, you know, kind of... Um, obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But as far as Hollywood is concerned, like post-pandemic media coming out... Um, so I wanna I wanna do a TV show video and, unless it gets copyright flagged for using any kind of show footage, but we'll see. 
Um, and yeah, then I will finally have my Metroid Dread video. Um, maybe this month I might be, I might be overestimating what I can get done. Um, but yeah, stuff's coming is the point. Tyler. You can follow me on Twitter at HeySatai. Check the pinned tweet to take you to my YouTube channel, home of Tiger Shoes Reviews, where I review old-ass fighting games for your pleasure. Um, I am currently working on the next Tiger Shoes video after a long emotional rut uh, due to work and, you know, my own uh, psyche getting in the way of me actually putting them out. But it's coming! Uh, I'll eventually get the next one out very soon, though I can't really promise anything as for streaming um i'm actually gonna be getting back into streaming this year that's one of the big resolutions of 2022 going forward uh nothing is concrete yet but i will give a schedule later on uh during the coming month or so so stay tuned for that there's some cool stuff coming your way also in terms of cinema shot uh we just recorded the first one of this year uh, so by the time the audio version of uh, this episode comes out, uh, check out uh, our episode of Cinema Shot regarding Dragon Ball Z, Lord Slug, or as it's called in Japan, Super Saiyan Goku. That was a really fun one that we recorded. Yeah, it was. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, um, you can follow me at twitter.com slash marvelous. Thank you for all things related to the Marvelous one. Um, and, uh... And, of course, I stream live at twitch.tv slash 82M4. I stream four times a week. Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, currently, we're playing... Um, uh, God. We're probably playing Aliens uh, Fire Team Elite, which is a game that came out this past year. Uh, that wish I would have played more of, but uh, I'm playing out with Thomas on Saturday as my regular tag team partner. Sundays are Mass Effect streams, so look for that. We're getting closer and closer to the epic conclusion of that. Um, Tuesdays, the Outer Worlds for the Super Future are coming back until we beat that game in this DLC. Excited to play that. And then um, normally Wednesdays RPG nights, um, but uh, I but since Final Fantasy VI Perf Pixel Edition isn't coming at, out till. Um, February, no idea when in February, but February, uh, I decided to alternate games on Wednesday. So starting this Wednesday, uh, we will be playing the mysterious game island game called Rhyme. So if you're a Link's Awakening mm. fan, come by and check that out. And then on the following Wednesday, we will be streaming Olegia, which is a Devolver Digital published game that came out the beginning of last year, like January 2020. Uh, one and I remember wanting to buy it for so long, and I bought it myself for uh, I think during the um, uh, Black Friday sales because it was like seven bucks or something like that. Uh, so look that there you go. That's my schedule. Um, I don't really do YouTube stuff as much as anymore. It's just ever since my grandmother passed away, I just haven't found the time or motivation. And I just really like streaming. I really like putting all my time into streaming, and I'm you know the community is great. And I won't get into that here, but thank you. And of course, go to Shutter.com for all the content here. Uh, Tyler mentioned Cinema Shot is, is back going strong. The wrestling thing, me, me and Thomas is going great as usual. We just uh, posted the I just posted the episode for the Royal Rumble 2002, and this coming episode that we recorded uh, is really really fun. Um, and then the poll ship for the new one will be out tomorrow at the time of this recording. So thank you all for listening for our Game of the Year show. I like I said, it was an honor to actually. This is my first one hosting it, and I think it went really really well. Um, 
Thank you all for sticking around for us so much. We will see you all next week for a regularly scheduled edition of the Sharkshot Gamescast. I'm your host, the Marvelous Siggy. It's good to be back. And remember, guys, stay charged. <laughs>